warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our program. Britannia, a very British podcast about very British movies with just a hint of professionalism. An episode we are entitling Little Voice Take Two. Stephen, good morning. Yes, little <laughs> voice, not Norman Collier voice, yes. <laughs> uh, how are you? I'm fine, it's Bank Holiday Monday, which is a bit of a departure for us because usually we record on a Sunday morning, but yesterday morning it all just went wrong. It's, yeah. It started fine, but the second that we decided to actually start talking about the movie, Skype did a, a trick that it's done previously to us, but not that often, thankfully. But thank God it's Bank Holiday Monday, and we're both off work at the moment. So we've met up again, and it is, it is Little Voice, which was your choice, mate. So looking forward to this. Absolutely, yes. And, and thankfully it was uh, just the, the technical side of things that went horribly wrong rather than our ability to review this fine film. <laughs> well, we'll soon find out in a second. You know? <laughs> well, yeah. Not making promises I can't keep. Not at all. <sighs> right, let's uh, take a short break. We'll be back after this. We're in for a grand night tonight. So smack one hand against t'other, if you will, for the turn of turns return. The voice of a thousand stars. The girl with the greats queuing up in her gullet. And the one, and the only, little voice, ladies and gentlemen, What am I to do? I 
Released in the UK the 8th of January 1999. It is a 1998 movie, but the UK release date was early the following year. Directed by Mark Herman. Now, it was written by a guy called Jim Cartwright, who wrote the original play that the film is based on. And it stars Brenda Bledin, Jane Horrocks, Michael Caine, Ewan McGregor, Jim Broadbent. Your choice, sir. Let's hear the storyline. What's it all about? Well, it's about an introverted young woman nicknamed Little Voice for her reticence to talk. Uh, she's so painfully shy that she takes refuge in, from her bombastic mother in the records of her deceased father. And the voices of Marilyn Monroe, Judy Garland and Shirley Bassey are not just an escape, but they're a source of expression uh, through mimicry. And then when a sleazy talent agent overhears <laughs> her singing, he also hears his fortune in her voice. And meanwhile... A young telephone engineer sees a kindred spirit to himself. Incredible story. It makes you wonder how this originated because, as I sort of mentioned, sort of hinted just briefly there, it is based on a stage production originally. Yeah, one that was written specifically for Jane Horrocks. That's what I was going to ask because how on earth would you come up with this idea that there's this reclusive girl that has this amazing talent for mimicry of, as you say, Judy Garland, Shirley Bassey, Marilyn Monroe, without having somebody in mind for the role, knowing that they can actually achieve what's going to be written down. So it obviously was written for Jane Horrocks, yeah? Absolutely, it was, yeah. And it's an, it's amazing and criminal mm. um, in that it's a, an amazing performance by her and criminal that she didn't get more plaudits for it, really. Yes. I mean, you look at some of the award mentions for the the actors in this film and there's the what i consider supporting cast of yep. you know of um, michael Caine and brenda Bleffin particularly mm. uh, whereas you know and even you know you look at some of the promotion material for it it's just got and jane horrocks at the end <laughs> you're thinking she's a title character yeah and she does a fantastic performance of all, all the singing and all this kind of stuff but she's a fantastic mimic and can do a lot more than just um bubbles out of absolutely fabulous exactly so it does show that you know somebody has, has for some whatever reason they've found out that she can do this and they've decided to to run with it and say let's do something with this <laughs> amazing talent that you've got yeah um but she's not the only one who um had the part specifically created for her because the, the michael Caine part was massively expanded from the play oh, um right. for him and the um the Telephone engineer we were just discussing, uh, she's played by Ewan McGregor. Mm-hmm. Um, that part didn't exist in the play. It oh, was right. created specifically for him because the director, uh, well, writer-director, had previously worked with him on Brassed Off and, ah. and liked him so much and thought there's an opportunity here to put a little bit of a... not. It's it's a 
a love interest, I suppose, in a way. But it's, mm. it's so so delicately and and chat and sort of almost childlike done <laughs> that it's not uh, to describe it as a love interest would be uh, really over. Playing, True. playing their interaction, really. <laughs> you can see other things as well that m- must have been specifically introduced to the movie or, or for the movie. It, it, its plays roots, its stage roots are highly evident throughout. Yeah. But, you know, certain elements of the, like you say, the Ewan McGregor's character, the pigeon fancying and, and the actual finale, the end, you know, the quite dramatic ending must have been specifically written for the film. Just going back to what you were saying about awards, I mean, Brenda Blevin was actually nominated for an Oscar, wasn't she? It was Best Supporting Actress, I believe. Supporting Actress, yeah. And, and I mean, mm. yeah, and, and not to denigrate her, just by what I've you know, just said about the other, you know, Jane Horrocks deserving the plot. It's, there's fine performances all around from every, everybody does yeah. their, their part well. And Brenda Blevin is a fantastic actress, I can, you know, in my opinion, and does a fantastic job in this. But, yeah, I would have expected there to be more... More in the direction of Jane Horrocks, exactly. but yeah, she did. She got um, uh, supporting actress. It was for the Oscars, yeah, and yeah. I think after some form of nomination as well. And supporting. Golden Globes, as did Michael Caine, I believe, as Cohen. well. Michael Caine. <laughs> Michael Caine. <laughs> yes. Right. Well, Michael Caine um, was he the ice cream seller on the beach? <laughs> See, this is the no, perils this, of. This a- is- this is set in um, in Scarborough, just down the road from me, you see, it is. So, uh, which is a, a seaside resort for those that don't know. <laughs> and um, there's plenty of references in it to um, things that just uh, uh, I'm at home with. You know, mm. it makes little side references to, you know, she'll go far, she'll even go to Scunthorpe <laughs> and, and things like this, you know, um, which is uh, little sort of places around here, the working men's club scene and things, which I grew up around oh yeah um it um this is very much some uh, geographically and and tone wise something that i'm at home with but um but yes the performances uh you're right to highlight that brenda bluffin playing the almost insane um, <laughs> mother um do you know who it, i was it, picturing in the role would have been perfect for that not saying that brenda blevin wasn't perfect but i can imagine julie walters in that role completely well, her, her and Cairn, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, of they course, can, yeah. They can bounce off each other <laughs> quite well. So, yeah, and she would have been able to to do that with a plum, absolutely. Mm. And as I say, there's some fine performances in it. I mean, and, and Michael Cairn, as always, does a, a fan, fantastic job. I mean, he's been okay. He's been in some Duff films um, in the 80s, but um, his performances are rarely, you know, bad performances. And in this, he, he really does play the faded, sleazy talent agent to the to the hilt oh, as well it's absolutely fantastic performance you know my love for michael kane anyways he's well documented but this is something even though he's playing a cockney character a bit of a wide boy almost which you know we, we know he can do this is just a little bit different you know he's 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 not quite ever hit the big time all right he's got the flash american motor but even then He's not a a list. He's not like Monty down down in London, who's got the office overlooking the Thames. He is, yeah. You know, he's resigned to the fact that it will be just some of these second-rate clubs up north that he's going to try and find, hoping for the big break. You know, it will come eventually, and God bless him, it, it very nearly does. Yeah, he's, he's not even a big fish in a small pond. He's, he's you know, uh, <laughs> he's a very but he likes fish, to think yeah. he is, and <laughs> I think it's a bit. 
bit denigrating to actually um, say that it, you know, to make it seem like a failure because he'd only met Matt Mon- Monroe. Oh, that rather, was brilliant! That line, yeah, I love which that. I thought <laughs> tied in with the uh, Rainbow Valley um, Another documentary one about him, yeah. which obviously was, uh, you know, shows that Matt Monroe was more special than um, this joke implies. <laughs> Michael Caine making his fourth appearance. Um, on it it is, yeah, yeah. Um, which you know we. we Usually say that it's a small part. People who you know get in first, and okay, didn't get in early, didn't Michael Caine? But he's starting to rack them up now. Obviously, mm. with, with that, you'll um, continue as well, mate. That's going to be yeah. you know pretty obvious in in the future. Yeah, it's uh, it's catching up with the Hickson. So yes, it is. Yeah, <laughs> and um, that lady out who played the prison guard in. Um, Oh, God, I can't remember her name, but yeah, she's got yeah. five or six appearances. Um, yeah, but we've got got a second appearance as well. Um, just while we're on the topic, yeah, go on. Um, we've got uh, Philip Jackson, who obviously was in High Hopes, yes. playing the the brother-in-law. Yep. Um, so I imagine he'll crop up again before long, and yeah. I imagine you know all of them, apart from perhaps Jane Horrocks, I think all of them will, will be in before too long. She'll be Brenda... in the next Mike Lee. Life is sweet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and of course, you know, Brenda Bleffin will be in a, a you know. Um, some of the Mike Lee films course, as well, and, yeah. and certainly yeah. Ewan McGregor will be cropping up in a number of them because, yeah. like I've mentioned, there's Brastoff, which will be, get covered at some point, Shallow and Shallow Grave, Grave yeah. and Train Spotting and all. Mm. So as soon as you know that era, he suddenly um, suddenly takes off and he'll, he'll be in. But mm. it wasn't a massive cast, though. That's the thing. Probably I mean, Jim Broadbent mm. in there as well, who will also get a, a, a reoccurring appearance in future in in Mike Lee and such like. But Life is sweet it, again, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it was only a small cast when you think about it, really. Probably because of its stage roots, as we've said. Exactly, yeah. Just quickly going back to Brenda Blevin as well, and I'm, me saying about, I could see Judy Waters playing that role quite successfully. Do you know who the original stage cast member was that played Little Voice's mum? Oh, I've forgotten. It's Alison Stedman talking to Mike Lee. Oh, there you go then. Yeah, so <laughs> she would have. Yeah, she would have played it with with equal aplomb. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It just Knowing all ties together, promise, doesn't yeah. it? It's all it's all quite linked. Some of these things that we start talking about. I loved it this time. It's only the second time I'd seen it, and you have this uncanny knack of selecting movies. Um, this this is a compliment, by the way. Because <laughs> oh, <laughs> it, it just started off. It started off. going to slag you off. when you're saying yeah. you have. Yeah, yeah, it really sounded like I was going to have a go at you then. But you have this uncanny knack of selecting movies for me that I've seen once at the time of release and never gone back to. And then when I watch them for purposes of this podcast, I find myself thinking afterwards... Why on earth have I not been watching this movie for the last 20 years? Why have I only watched it once previously? And it was exactly the same with this. I thoroughly enjoyed this. And I thought, why have I not gone back? What What is there not to like about this movie? It's got Michael Caine in it, who I adore. Jane Horrocks, who I fell in love with ever since Life is Sweet. I thought she was fantastic in that. And then followed her career ever since. And then I've got all my sort of music. You've got those sort of divas and those big sort of torch singers belting out the standards. And then there's just this whole thing of the comedy element with Brenda Blevin, with Jim Broadbent. It's it's just got my movie written all over it. Yeah, and it is a, you know, it is a, a funny, feel-good film. Mm. Despite the fact that it does have 
of pathos in it, and it, it does have the, the the plot of you know of what in the background what did happen to her father and her own sort of downtroddenness in in the face of her mother yep. and and all these kind of things. It's just a funny film and it's incredibly well crafted. Yeah. I mean, I think that although it, it could it could in less delicate hands have veered into being incredibly contrived. Mm. Um but I think that there was due to the performances and the writing, it just stays the right side of of the line in order to be finely crafted and the the foreshadowing of some of the the references earlier on in the film towards yeah. things later on mm-hmm. you know for the actual final scene as it were as well yeah but it, it all it all just works together all the elements come together and make it a, a, a really good film and as you say you can tell it comes from a, a play it's but so, mm. so often we actually recognize that and it's often something that we recognize as being a plus point because oh yeah yeah there's so many things that we do actually like that were originally players we just go yeah that that works educating rate was a good example of that wasn't it but there is one if there was anything that i had to pick fault with and it's not a major thing the constraints of it being an original stage production are so evident you get what should really be the climax of the movie about three quarters of the way in with her performance on stage. If that was the stage production, you can imagine that was going to be the end of the first act. And yes. it would go into yeah. the interval, wouldn't it? And then you'd get the second half of the play 20 minutes later. It then becomes this other part of the story, more sort of the love story and the, and the struggles for her to become famous and to build on that original first performance. But in any, in any other you know person's hands, like you say that performance probably would have been saved for the end and you'd have had a 20-minute, you know, tour de force from from Jane Horrocks. It just a little bit throws you off kilter because you think, this is it, this is brilliant, what a fantastic, you know, finale. And then there's another 25 minutes or so going on. At but the then, end. yeah, but then the player was the rise and fall. Ah, of course it was, yeah, yeah. So it's, you know, it is, um, you know, Makes not sense. Quite, not, not quite the Roman Empire, but <laughs> the, um, the, yeah, it's it's. Although you know that is even that is a bit de- deceptive because mm. of course it's not really a fall because if she'd actually have embraced that performance and wanted to continue the career and then it hadn't have happened that would have been a fall for her. But I suppose maybe it's rise and fall from the point of view of maybe the uh, talent agent Ray character. Yeah. Yeah, I think it. The extra that they put into the film that wasn't in the play, which we might be able to sort of pick up on, mm-hmm. um, I don't think that can be viewed as padding. I think it was, for the most part, stuff that was quality stuff that actually does expand it and make it make it more worthwhile. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, um, makes, it makes it more cinematic. since the performances that it, it actually pulled out mm. to do so, um, Ewan McGregor and, and Michael Caine, they probably make it, enough to actually be made into a film it might not have been there might not have been enough there to to create a film just based upon the play i suppose but i can understand what you're saying that that performance finale would have been the end of, of the first if act it was left, just a film yeah. the audience thinking well what's going to be the second half yeah yeah, yeah. if it was just a movie it wasn't based on the stage play that would be really jarring it's like 
well, hang on, that's not the traditional way that a movie like this ends. Yeah, it's no way that Baz Luhrmann would have allowed that to no. not be the end. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I just suddenly thought of? The, the, a typical modern example of that is, I doubt if you've seen this because I don't think you're a fan, but the new Queen biopic, the Bohemian Rhapsody, that came out last year. Oh, yeah. It yeah. builds up and builds up all the way up to Live Aid. And the last 20 minutes of the film is a recreation of the Live Aid performance. So it is exactly how you would expect this to have ended, you know, just on a on the high, you know, the high of the performance. Yeah, I think that would have... That, I haven't seen it yet, and I probably will mm. see it at some point because, you know, I'm not adverse to, to Queen. There's yeah. fantastic songs. But I think the... Um, Doing that seems a bit lazy and, and, mm-hmm. and filler because you could just watch the actual real version. Um, yeah, they've recreated the it. Yeah. You know, obviously with Little Voice, it, it wouldn't have been because it's it's fiction. But yeah, I think that this, as a stage play and, and also the film, therefore, actually has more to say than it just culminating in that big performance. And because it could very well have, have been, as you say, in a different hands and done by a different company and, and even done by a different country you could imagine that this being done somewhere over the united states as a as a film it, they would have wanted that triumphal yeah. ending of of the, the shy shy girl becoming a, a a big star because of this talent and that being it and everybody can rag to riches type thing whereas that's not how we do things over here. That's it. <laughs> We've mentioned Jane Horrocks's staggering performance, and I've just got to mention one of the highlights for me is, is Michael Caine singing It's Over, the Roy Orbison song. <laughs> it breaks your heart into finish, fucking finish me, to know that she's untrue. What the fuck am I gonna do? It is <laughs> just incredible. And Mr. B going, Oh, race there there with uh, the story of his career. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> He comes out of a lot of little one-liners. I mean, what was it you said to me? Don't say my name too often, people, I think. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't shout my name too loudly. I'll think you don't like me. <laughs> it was the boo. Yeah. <laughs> but he is that typical northern club compare. You know, even, yeah. even when he announces himself coming on stage in a different voice. <laughs> yeah, you know, but not too different. <laughs> <no>. <laughs> and then does... The little shuffly dance as he comes through the curtain. You know, we've seen it a thousand times. Um, listeners to this podcast are going to start thinking before long that there's going to be some mythical north-south divide between us because at the moment you're picking uh, on a few occasions movies that are set north, north of the country, and I'm picking East End London movies. You know, it's, it seems to be like we're, we're gravitating towards that. But well, it's a lot easier for you than it is for me because obviously a lot more. Films have I got are, more films? Have I? You reckon? Based, yeah. based down there. I mean, you mm. you can just pick films that are set in 
within the sight of where your office window is <laughs> and you'll still get more than the, the film's hour. This is what I said. Tra- Trafalgar Square, I think, will have appeared in the Hall of Fame more than any other actor or actress. It's but it was, so but it was in this, wasn't it? Was it in this? When it, no, you it's... See, it, see out the window of Bunny Morris's? Oh, it's Westminster, isn't it, I think? I think it's Westminster. Where's the one with all the... It's not Trafalgar Square that's got all the... Um, it must be Piccadilly Circus, I think. The one it that's is got Piccadilly all the, Circus, yeah, Piccadilly sorry. Circus, yeah, Piccadilly Circus you see out of Bunny Morris's yeah. window with a big Sanyo um, light-up sign and etc. Yeah, yeah, Piccadilly so, Circus. She's only only a few streets away. Oh, five it? five so, minute walk from my office. Yeah, but um, <laughs> but yeah, that is it, yeah, it's it's weird how um, I suppose I'm wanting to make sure that that any listeners out there don't think that the British film um, history is is purely London based. There are some isn't. films from outside. Yeah, yeah. So, and we will so be. I'm, we I'm will the regional talk- correspondent. On yeah. <laughs> but what are we talking about? Did you ask me if we could include? It's something to do with Great Britain, wasn't it? We were talking about Irish it was, movies. It was Ireland, yeah. yeah. I was, you know, considering the the technicalities, and it because you're not, you know, you don't have a strict view on these anyway. It was merely a, a merely a, a hypothetical question because if I did bring in a film that was based in Dublin, you'd just go, yeah, fine, and you know. <laughs> but it was my own sort of thing of going, right. Well, it's it is British because it's British Isles, exactly. So that's um, fine. Yeah. But um, so yes. The, there's plenty more out there with, with Ireland and Scotland and and the north of England. And, we will be coming. In some, mm. in some ways, the north of England does have more in common with Scotland um, than it does with with London, anyway. But yeah. yes, this film is is definitely it plays up its northern um, roots. Um, yeah, they definitely you, without any any shame whatsoever. Mm, yeah. it, it's got the the accents. Um, played up and it's got making sure it's got the references in there and um, cleverly uses some of the the accents to have little jokes in there um, like <laughs> like the like the mother when she says that she um, she got she got married and she found out that on um, signing the wedding register she found out it was Mr oh, and Mrs F off F off yeah and when she finds out that Ewan McGregor's character's name is Bill. So you're the phone bill, yeah. The yeah, original the phone, phone bill, bill, yeah. And he was calling um, his boss, Mister Cable. She was calling Mister yeah. Cable because all these little jokes, you know. She, oh, did, I remember having telephones connected like that, you know, in the past. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. also, you mentioning about you know references to the north, and I had to double check a character appeared, and I thought that's so and so. I recognise him. It, when Ewan McGregor, I think it's the first time we see him at the pigeon loft and he's got the pigeons there, a, an old boy walks past with a flat cap and says hello to him um, yeah, about where's Dwayne. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, a character, a, a, an actor called Fred Feast. Mm. And now I know you don't watch Coronation Street, but Fred Feast was in The Rover's Return for years and years and years um, as the pot man. He was... Uh, what was his name? Fred G, I think his name was, under Annie Walker's reign. You know, we're talking 70s here. And I thought, that's him. You know, not that I'm a fan of Coronation Street myself, but I recognised him immediately. Must have been one of his last movie appearances, this, but it's almost like a cameo. Um, I recognised him immediately as he walked past. But there is no other real speaking parts. Even Angela, is it Angela Badland? The yes, she, well, she's a she's a great character actress. She's brilliant. Um, she doesn't say a great deal in this at no, all, does she? 
I mean, we recognise her as one of the Slovene from Who, um, yeah. Doctor Who. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but she's she is a, a great character actress, mm. and I mean, she um, is from the West Midlands, so she you know, she obviously has to That's change her accent right, for this yeah. film. But she's um, no, she is a really good supporting character, and she doesn't have a lot of lines in it. More sort of. Okay, yeah. and that's about it. <laughs> some dancing, but, um, yeah, some dancing over the, falling over the uh, the settee. But that is a supporting character, I think, rather than Brenda Bleffin is is supporting. But yeah. it's it's fine all around. They've managed to you know cast people incredibly well, and I think the quality of the script and also the track record of the guy who was. Um, co-wrote, well, re- rewrote the screenplay yeah. and directed it. You know, with Brastoff just being before this, which had Hugh McGregor in, it obviously had the pedigree enough to actually pull in Brenda Bleffin and Michael Caine and things. And you can imagine that this was... Um, I mean, the thing is, with Michael Caine, you can imagine that despite all the bigger budget films that he's done, where he's got paid a lot of money to play these quite serious parts and be around some really big stars this film must have been just a a small budget piece of fun for him to come and do he could have really got his teeth into enjoying doing the drunken singing and (laughs) playing the sleaziness and having the 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 drunken fight with with brenda bleffin and you know it's it's something he could just enjoy (laughs) as a piece of work and just think yeah, that was fun to do that film. Rather than it was big money, it was just just enjoyable. Um, and I'm sure, you know, sure the others that managed to get their joy out of it as well because it's it's just a a pleasure to watch, and you can see the people just throwing themselves into it because it's what they want to be doing rather than they're doing a job. Yeah, I think at this point in Michael Caine's career, it is a case of him just having fun. He's he's done the serious acting. He's won the Oscars. He's he's achieved what he wanted to achieve, and I think it's just the case of, do you know what? I'm just going to go out and, and just do something that I want to, you know, not necessarily get paid a great deal of money for, but enjoy myself while I'm doing it. He's a very generous actor, and to be given the chance to star in something with someone as talented as Jane Horrocks, I think he was probably just, do you know what? I'm going to be part of that because I just respect her. She's the star of this, not me, and he won't overshadow her. You know, he, he, despite the fact that he is A-list Hollywood celebrity, and you can you can see they must have had a great deal of fun with this. Yeah, you can imagine the outtakes of them just you know, <laughs> you know some of the the scenes with Brenda Bleffin or when he's trying to you know with um, Jim Broadbent just you know them end up just pissing themselves Bre- laughing. Walking about Brenda you know, Blevins dressing room, into some some nonsense and things. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Him walking about in Brenda Blevins dressing room, you know, yeah. walking around, and he opens the fridge and he's like, "Oh my god, god!" You know, it's just like typical yeah, Michael Caine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, how Absolutely, many, yeah. What a joy. How many times have you seen this? I've seen this. It's in double figures. We've seen this. I mean, I've got the. I had the uh, VHS of it, and I still have it somewhere. Mm-hmm. And then I've got the DVD of it, and then um, you know, obviously, I've, I've seen it originally, cinema-wise, you as yourself. Oh, and it just feel-good film. And one you turn to quite often. Having then. the local local 
element to it as well. But yeah, just it's just a feel good film that I know you can you know can turn to. And I I do a little bit of what you've done because I sometimes forget for a while about mm. it and don't watch it for like two years or so, and then suddenly I go, oh yeah, little voice, yeah, I watch that, <laughs> yeah. And um, it's just it's it's got a purity about it in the sense that um, it's. It's not complicated or okay, there's plenty of swearing and sexual references. There is in this, yeah, in it. yeah. But it's 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 in in another way. It's quite innocent and and a joy. It's not, you know, it doesn't end with people dying or any of these kind of things. It just reaches the end, and the end is incredibly subtle, really. Just mm-hmm. you know, the, between the um, the two quiet characters, yeah, and that. That is a joy, really, to see in a, in a film that, to be fair, I don't want to denigrate other countries, but um, you know, I'm not sure, as we said, that this would be the set done in the same and have the same ending if it had been done in, in the States, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that delicate ending, I think, is something that we can do that they're less inclined to. Yeah, don't need the big blockbuster wham-bam ending. Um, as you said, originally the play was called the rise and fall of Little Voice, but you don't leave this movie thinking, oh, it's on a downer. There's still a bit of hope there at the end, isn't there? There's a new beginning on the horizon. Yeah, yeah if anything, this is the the best the best outcome that could possibly happen. Exactly, exactly. But, yeah. In your rating system, Stephen, how would you recommend this to the listeners? Oh, I reckon everybody should go out there way to see it. Mm-hmm. I think there's something in this for everybody. I think that it's so feel good that everybody can just enjoy it. If you can see it, the cinema, I think it probably has for the sound quality and oh, etc. Yeah. It probably yeah. has a great, great experience for you. But just look it out because it, it it is just and it's only about an hour and a half long as well. Yeah, and it just is a joy and it is a pleasure to watch. And you come away just feeling feeling better about life. <laughs> I've had. Get Happy by Judy Garland going through my head for the last 24 hours. I can't get rid of it. It's just, it's had that effect on me. Even well, though get well happy- I've, just got, I've just got Jane Horrocks in my head um, on yesterday. Yeah. I've heard doing the uh, Gracie Fields. Oh, brilliant. Sing as we go. <laughs> um, I was looking up some of the other stuff that Jane Horrocks did, because obviously, as you say, we know her from Absolutely Fabulous and, and Life is Sweet. About five, six years after this, she did a BBC drama called Gracie. So she actually plays Gracie Fields uh, during the war years, I think it is. So I'm going to try and seek that out and have a little look because obviously she's going to develop that sort of singing side of things, doing the Gracie Fields impersonation. So I think that might be quite fun to watch as well. We haven't seen her as a singer in anything since, really, have we? I don't. Not think... really, no. I mean, she's done stage things, and I think mm. she's even done some musicals, although I think the last thing we referenced her in stage-wise was the stage version of East is East. Yes. Um, yeah. But that wasn't a musical. Mm. But, um, you know, she's obviously got that, that talent there, so um, if yeah. that's what she chooses to do with, with her talent, then fair play to her. Well, so be it. it. So be it. Uh, on Letterboxd, I rated this four out of five, but it's a heavy four. You know, I don't want to give it the perfect five, but I loved it. And again, it's just one of those films that I should have been watching more and more over the past few years. Talking to Bank Holidays, sorry, just to divert the conversation away. Pretty much every episode, we mention 
rainy bank holiday Monday afternoons, don't we? And watching films, and this would be a great rainy bank holiday Monday movie. Oh yes, it's yeah, bank, absolutely. It would. Right, yeah. it's, it's bank holiday Monday now, and the sun is shining. Uh, what what do we do in this case? You know, it's it's, it's, it's an anomaly that we've got a very nice bank holiday Monday. Uh, so sorry, chaps, you can't actually sit in and watch. Any of these great it's, British movies that we talk about? Uh, follow that camel, then I think. You reckon uh, it'd be that one? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, that's little voice. Let's take a short break. We'll be back after this. Okay, Stephen, for next week's show will be my choice for you. Yes. Usually because you've picked something, say, from from 1998, I would possibly go back quite far and probably select something from the 40s or the 50s and change the genre, possibly pick a drama or a war film. Yeah. Not going to go back too far this time. I'm going to go back to 1985. Yeah. Okay, but the movie is set in the 50s and it touches upon a subject that we have covered when we reviewed Yield to the Night with Diana Dawes. What I'm asking oh. you to take a look at this week is the Let true story of Ruth it. Ellis. Um, no, Dance with a Stranger. Oh, Dance with a Stranger. The oh, true story of Ruth Ellis. Yeah, I was going to suggest Let Him Have It, but I can't find a copy of it at the moment, so that will be coming up. But it's Miranda Richardson and Rupert Everett. And it tells the story of Ruth Ellis, the last woman to be hanged in this country. We sort of mentioned it, didn't we, the oh. Diana Dawes movie, Yield to the Night, because yeah. that was sort of loosely based on around that story. This is the actual, you know, the, the retelling of it. I remember watching it, Channel 4, when it first came out. I don't think I've seen it since. Have you seen it yourself? I've seen it. I haven't seen it since then, mm. same as yourself. Um, always a pleasure to see Miranda Richardson. Oh, yes. Um, what a stunning woman. Um, <laughs> and she's a great actress as well. This will be something I'll be looking forward to yeah. re-watching because, again, it may be something we find that we're going, why have we watched this since? Exactly, because it was so, so widely praised when it first came out. Um, screenplay by Sheila Delaney, who wrote famously Taste of Honey. And yes. amongst other things, you know, more, more famously known as a playwright. And the director is Mike Newell, who, who was Four Weddings, wasn't he? He was, went on to Four Weddings after this, amongst other things. Uh, let's have a quick look. A couple of the Harry Potters, Donnie Brasco. Yeah, um, you will ignore those. <laughs> uh, Prince of Persia. Yeah. <laughs> so we've got Mike Newell and Sheila Delaney playing a part in the conversation next time looking forward to that one looking forward to that because i haven't seen it for so long yeah absolutely yeah it'll be uh, as you say it's it's in a different era even though not when it was made and i mean we did that with hope and glory but mm. um, it's it's a film that i remember as being quality from yeah. um when i watched it before so um it'd be something i'll be happy to to re-watch and uh, and then review with your fine self fantastic well we're going to wind this up a bit quicker than we had planned today because I don't know if the listener can hear, but the Skype connection is is being a bugger again. So hopefully we'll be able to talk for a little bit longer next week, mate. 
Yes, I do hope so, mate. Let's see how we go. Thanks for being there today, mate. See you soon. Okay, take care. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Shah. A positive shah. Bon voyage. Good luck. Thank you. Hand up, sir.